Welcome to another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. Thank you for joining us. We uh, inadvertently skipped last week, or unintentionally, I should say. I was moving again, um, but done moving. And uh, that took a little bit more time and effort than intended. So uh, we skipped a week, but now we've been able to sync up the podcast and the newsletter. The newsletter will go out uh, shortly after this episode, and uh, it will have this episode linked on it. So again, if if you know people who are interested in the newsletter, uh, sign up uh, on the website um, or uh, you know any other way that you can get a hold of me, and I will make sure that you are on the list. We're going to do two things today. Um, one is we're just going to talk for a couple of minutes about uh, some contacts I've had recently, some people who've reached out to talk to me, and um, I, I think you might find it interesting some of the discussions, and uh, in particular, one of the the contacts that I had recently, and so we'll talk about it a little bit. I'll also use that to preview some things that are coming up in the next few weeks. And then we're going to take a slight deviation this week, and we're going to talk about the Mexican hacks, the hacks of Sedena. Um, And I've gone through and read, so that you don't have to, a whole lot of reports about what actually is in the documents, um, at least that have been disclosed so far or have been... um, you know, viewed thus far, and a little bit about what's not in there. Um, and I think it'll be interesting. It's a little bit more current events. Uh, I know that there are some people here who have um, have a little bit more interest in some of the more current things going on in Mexico and with the cartels. I'll try really hard to address that in the newsletter. Um, but I'm also going to try to make sure that we have some type of a balance here. Uh, again, the the general focus is is always going to stay the same, but there's a direct linkage between things that happened in the 1980s, including Agent Camarena's uh, untimely death and uh, things that are going on now. And as we get further into... Uh, this podcast and, and things where we will talk more and more about uh, maybe ten things that are tangential to the camera in a case itself, but that flow from it. And um, just so you know, uh, you know, I was sitting down today thinking of different topics that I have been thinking about, wanting to discuss, wanting to research more, and you know, my list stopped at fifteen. So. Uh, lots of things to talk about, but again, today we're going to talk about the Mexican hacks and things. But let's start um, with the obligatory Caro Quintero update. There is no update. I haven't heard anything new. Uh, nothing new appears uh, in any of my Google searches this morning, so we will leave it at that for the moment. Uh, then let's talk about people who've reached out this week. And there were two in particular. Um, and I want to start by saying I appreciate every single comment that has come to me. And 
almost without question, they have been, uh, without exception, they've been helpful, they've been interesting, they've been informative. Um, and I got a, quite a few comments, feedback um, regarding the CIA investigations and the things that we talked about the last couple of weeks. And uh, some really good insights on areas that maybe we didn't cover as much as we could have, areas for further consideration, um, and just some, um, again, have you thought about this type of responses? And one of the things that's fascinating to me as I've started to do this more and interacted with a lot more people is just the different mindsets. Uh, you know, again, I'm a I'm a lawyer, and my mind works in a certain way. And I've never been trained as an investigator. I've read, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of police reports, FBI files, DEA files, but that's not what I do. And some of the folks who've who've reached out, um, some of the people that I talk to on a regular basis, have a mindset that's different. They're investigators, they're police, their their mind works in a slightly different way. And when I'm able to to kind of understand that, it it's very enlightening. And I learn a lot about myself, my own thought process, my own investigatory process, and it's really, really great. So I appreciate it. Um and I want people to know and understand that um, my analysis, my investigation, my research continues each and every week. And some of what I do is let you all see kind of the intermediate work product. Uh, so, for example, with the, the CIA investigations, there are a number of um, areas for analysis that I want to and am continuing to pursue. Everything from trying to understand better and learn more about the interrogation recordings and the transcripts and how that process worked and what it tells us about the people who were involved in the interrogation. Um. From that to things about the involvement of the CIA in uh, activities in Mexico that may go above and beyond what we were aware of or what I was aware of. Uh, to things that we've discussed before of, of you know, how is it that Caro Quintero ended up in Costa Rica? Is there any speci special significance to Caro in Costa Rica? All of those things and you know, I could hold it all in and, and wait and, and say, aha, I think I've got conclusions. But I, I really, I enjoy the process of uh, saying what we know now, uh, highlighting what we don't know, maybe previewing where we're going to go, and then coming back when it's a good time to say, hey, here's what else we've learned, if anything. Um, you know, and sometimes it, it may just be that, that um, we don't know as much as we would like to know. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's that's number one. 
Uh, number two was interesting. So uh, a few weeks ago, a gentleman by the name of John Massaria gave me a call. At first, he gave he sent me a, an email in response to a news podcast. Anyways, he sent me an email or a text. I responded back. We had a phone call. John Massaria is a documentarian. And he produced and put together a documentary that I, frankly, had not seen um, called Rogue Narc. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Well, um, it's, again, the story of Hector Breas and um, the the witnesses. Uh, and uh, it, it's very similar in tone um, from what I've been able to see to um, the last NARC. So Mr. Massaria gave me a call. He and I I had a, um, or I should say, he he reached out to me. I called him, if we're going to be accurate. We had um, a a friendly but um, somewhat contentious discussion. Mr. Massaria is a true believer in, uh, Agent Breas and the witnesses. We disagreed on a few points and agreed to disagree and and um, concluded our conversation. Uh, a week or so after that, I get a call from Mr. Masseria who said he had Hector Breas on the phone and wanted to know if I would be willing to talk to Hector. And I said, of course I would. Um, so Agent Breas got on the phone and we had about an 80-minute phone call. I won't call it a conversation because by and large, uh, Mr. Breas talked and I listened, interjected on a few occasions. It was not, uh, I wouldn't call it hostile, wasn't super friendly, but it wasn't really hostile. But in short, uh, Agent Breas thought that I was naive and trusting people I shouldn't trust. Uh, resented if I if he had been called uh, a liar uh, by me or others, um, and he gave me a certain set of facts that he thought um, I should look into, be made aware of, and um, asked that I do that with an open mind, which I agreed to do. I'm not going to go into great detail at the moment about the. Uh, the things that Agent Bray has brought up, because I'm going to save that for a special episode in the future, uh, two or three weeks hence. But by and large, they were things that I was at least somewhat familiar with. So, for example, um, he made the claim that Buffalo could not have been the reason, the raid on Buffalo could not possibly have been the reason that Agent Camarena was killed because Agent Camarena had virtually nothing at all to do with Buffalo and certainly nothing to do with the raid itself. Those are things that we've talked about on this podcast on several occasions, and so I agreed with him. Uh now, that doesn't mean that I reached the same conclusion, right? As we talked about before, the fact that Agent Camarena had nothing to do with Buffalo doesn't mean that Carl Quintero couldn't have thought he did. 
And if Carl Quintero thought that, it's entirely possible that that's the reason he was picked up, interrogated, and killed, notwithstanding the fact that they were wrong. He actually didn't know anything about that. So, um, again, it was an interesting conversation, and uh, we agreed to leave it open, the possibility of um, talking again and potentially him uh, coming on to this podcast. And I bring this up because, again, I want you all to know kind of how things are proceeding. Uh, and I thought it was important. I thought it was important that we, you know, we, we made this contact. Things that we're saying here are having some effect. We're reaching people. And the th- thing I've always said is my only goal is to find the truth. And I will continue to keep as open a mind as I possibly can as we go forward. And if there's facts, if there's evidence that proves something, I'm I'm happy to go with that. Uh, As we've talked about and as I've insisted, I don't think that the reliance on Godoy and Lopez is well-founded. I don't think that the reliance on witness statements decades later that aren't supported by uh, contemporaneous evidence is well-reasoned. But I am happy to keep an open mind and to have further discussion and to have further dialogue. Um, and, And as I say, we're going to have an opportunity to discuss uh, his specific allegations, and, and the allegations are probably the wrong word, to, to discuss exactly what he, uh, what he said to me, the issues that he raised primarily, and um, we'll do that in a longer form when we've had a little bit more time to digest it and to, uh, dis- you know, to prepare a discussion about it. Okay. So that's where we're at this week. Um, I I have to tell you, you know, all of those contacts were exciting. They were interesting. And um, it's it's why I continue to do this. Uh, And I really, (laughs) I I was having a conversation at dinner last night. I really love this. Uh, And and it's, it's significant to me. And it becomes even more so when I realize, you know, that people are listening uh, and that people care one way or another, good, bad, or indifferent, you know? So what about the Mexican hacks? All right. (coughs) Excuse me. Getting over another cold. Um, Here's what we want to talk about today. We know that um, a hacking group hacked into the uh the mexican uh intelligence gathering centers uh all of which belong to the mexican secretary of national defense sedena and we also know that it, about 4 million documents in total were released by the way the uh the hacking group calls itself guacamaya guacamaya okay and so four million documents, all from Sedena, really, really opened up 
the curtains on uh, Mexico's intelligence apparatus and um, operations. What I found uh, particularly interesting is the headlines. And, you know, Mexico as here as in other places, um, headlines are generally written to attract readers, to attract clicks, and uh, headlines may not always accurately reflect the content of the article, or in this case, the documents that were released. And what we've seen is a, you know, pretty salacious allegations um, or assertions in headlines. You know, uh, Mexican government's close connections to the cartels, those sorts of things. Um, questions about Mexico's commitment to the uh, the war on drugs, et cetera, et cetera. So again, I, I've spent a few days going through as many of the reports as I could find and I want to tell you kind of what was revealed. Uh, take a look at, um, you know, kind of what what the implications are, why they matter. And then at the end, we're going to talk specifically about the relationships with the cartels. Because I think it's a little bit different than, or, or more nuanced than what you might be seeing in the headlines um, on your local news site. So again, the data, about 4 million documents, the years, and this is where it's interesting, I think, is it was 2016 to 2022 of those documents. So that's, you know, that's recent stuff, which is nice um, because it is pertinent and it does relate to things that we're talking about today. In total, there are about six terabytes of information, and those included um, documents themselves, data, um, intelligence reports, photos, videos, texts, uh, conversations, uh, emails, of course, um, graphs, charts, all kinds of things. So it was, a, it was a huge data dump. And I can't tell you to what extent it's been fully reviewed as of um, the present time. But we do have a number of reports of things that were in there. So um, I think it's uh, it's safe to say that it's been reviewed in some detail, but I find it hard to believe that it's been uh, completely reviewed in full detail. So now, what, the, what does it matter? Why do we care? Well, there's a couple of things. Um one article I read, and I'm just going to read this to you because I think it's, it's, it's well done. But there was a national security expert from Mexico um, by the name of Alejandro Hope who said, after the revelation of the hacking, the intelligence capacities of Sedena, including the National Guard, are severely impaired. For one thing, their information gathering methods have been exposed, essentially throwing away million or several million dollars of technology investment. Likewise, the relationship with any informant that military intelligence has is seriously damaged, even if those names are not 
among the stolen information because the informants don't know whether it is or is not. Similarly, the exchange of information with foreign agencies will be difficult due to well-founded fears that Sedena's systems are not secure. Okay? So, again, what, what really, one of the really big things from this leak, put the cartels way aside, is it really talked about how the intelligence uh, gathering apparatus in Mexico works, its operations, its technology. Um, that, in my mind, is really the explosive part of, of this. Now, again, does the average person particularly care about the, the ins and outs? Uh, probably not. The, the specific details of which informants they're using and which equipment they're using and what technology is important to the Mexican intelligence gathering uh, agencies, probably not significant. But in the grand scheme of things, the fact that the uh, intelligence capabilities and capacities of Mexico have been impaired is going to be important, and it's going to be important in connection with you know the continuing efforts, however you want to judge them, uh, between the United States and Mexico in um, you know fighting drug trafficking and and other uh, issues re- relating to those two countries. All right, so big issue. Intelligence capabilities, national security implications, uh, that's really important and everybody should be aware of that. Um, In Mexico, I think there's a really uh, important issue and debate going on. And that's the degree to which the national defense, the, the Mexican military, is involved in... Uh, politics is involved in uh, private matters, is involved in local communities, and we've seen the administration go from kind of saying, "Hey, we want to take the the military off the streets," to really saying, "You know what? The military is going to be there and going to be there for an awful long time," um, and. People in Mexico are, are going to have a question of how much are, are they willing to live with? How much of a presence do they want the National Guard and uh, others in the military to have on their local streets? And one of the things that this hack and the documents uh, that have been re- revealed has exposed uh, is kind of the underbelly of the military and that's going to have an effect on public perception of the military. So um, a, a um, Luis Rubio, who was the chairman of Mexico Evalua, a think tank based in Mexico City, said he thinks the leaks, quote, exhibit an army with little sophistication in general, very basic in its approaches, little knowledge of the world in which they live, and less of the rest of the planet. Military officials are very concerned and sensitive to any external criticism. Specifically, they retain the very sovereignist vision that the Americans are a danger, 
a threat to Mexico's natural resources, especially oil. He goes on, the three lessons I take away from the Guacamaya leaks are the Army's inability to understand and relate to society in general, their displeasure with the responsibilities that have been assigned to them, but that as a structure that answers to the boss, they discipline themselves, and perhaps is or perhaps the most important thing is that their loyalty is to the president, not the state or the constitution. That's pretty important, isn't it? I mean, that's if you were in Mexico, or if you had family in Mexico, if you had friends in Mexico, you know, at a time when the government, we talked a couple of weeks ago, you know, that, that um, the, the ability of the government or of the military to be involved in, in civilian affairs um, has been extended through 2028. You know, so you've got a, a, a real conscious effort to deepen and strengthen the military's involvement in civilian life, civilian institutions. While that's going on, you f- see thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of documents that indicate that the military, A, isn't very good. You know, what What, what does this person say? Little sophistication in general. Um, and that is tied to the president. One of the things that I think post uh, pre-Mexico was trying to do is to get away from a state institutionalized uh, military. You know, they had the federal police force and then that kind of got replaced with the National Guard that's now being somewhat subsumed in, with the military. And that should be an, an issue for concern for people. I think it should be a concern for the United States as well. Because, again, it reflects a, an antagonistic approach that the military has to the United States. And the depth of that has to affect all bilateral negotiations with respect to cartels, drug trafficking, and similar topics. Um, another thing that was really interesting in these reports or the documents that were released, was the degree to which the Mexican government and the Mexican military in particular has been spying on uh, journalists and activists. Um, it, it becomes perfectly clear um, that elements in the Mexican government in Sedena have used um, a spyware Excuse me. That um, is produced by Israel's NSO group, uh, and that happened at least through 2021, and it happened from these documents. And again, this isn't hypothesis. Based on the documents, it appears clear that the government swore, AMLO's government swore, up and down, made statements all over the place that it wasn't the using that software, it wasn't spying on journalists, it wasn't spying on activists. Um, All the while, it in fact was doing so. Two of the journalists who in particular had been spied upon were journalists who had written on issues of official corruption. 
And um, then there were also prominent human rights defenders who were actively spied upon. And again, to the extent that you believe in a free press, to the extent that you believe in a separation between government and press, to the extent you believe in the rights of individuals to protest, to expose official corruption, to advocate for human rights, this should be a concern. And I think it's a concern in Mexico. You know, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, the the murder of Manuel Buendia in 1984, the the fact that there were other murders around that time. Uh, You know, so the antagonistic relationship between the Mexican government and the press is well-known, well-founded. And any thought that that had dissipated is a little bit um, contradicted by, if not totally contradicted, by these documents. Okay, let's talk about the relationship between the Mexican military and the cartels. And I want to make one thing very clear. Nothing I have seen is kind of that proverbial smoking gun that says, you know, AMLO and El Mencho are buddies and they've been working together or anything of that magnitude. There's a lot of bits and pieces of a relationship between people in the Department of Defense or the Defense Secretariat and cartel members. And I'm going to talk at the end here that one of the bigger concerns is not necessarily that direct relationship that can be shown by documents, shown by communications, but maybe a relationship that can be inferred in uh, different ways. So again, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that last part in a second. All right. So what do we know for sure? Um, we know that various state police, National Guard, military folks have had some relationship with cartels um, up until at least through you know a period of time in 2022. That's no surprise to anyone, right? It was that way in 1984 and 1985 when Kiki Camarena and Jaime Kirkendall were in Guadalajara. It's the same thing today. And it's been the same way ever since then, you know, in that intervening period, sometimes more, sometimes less. So the fact that there's some symbiotic relationship, some um, involvement really shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. But what has been interesting, I think, from these is um, the degree of internal suspicion and the degree of um, involvement of important people within the government and the military with the cartels. So what are some of the things that we've seen? Well, one of the things that that we found um, is that 
we found out a little bit about how the Mexican security forces are locating cartel members. Now, we talked earlier, you know, that if if folks know how the intelligence apparatus works, that makes their job harder. Well, one of the things that that um, that we found out is that the Mexican security forces were really good at tapping um, mobile devices and texts and emails too. And by doing that, we're able to make some surprise raids on um, traffickers, make some good arrests. Now, the degree to which they have been interacting with the DEA or other uh, elements of the U.S. government in those operations not abundantly clear from the documents. But for example, in August 9th of 2021, the army raided a ranch um, and was able to um, crash a a high-level meeting between traffickers. There was um, a a number of high-level arrests. Uh, The president even came out and said, you know, hey, um, there's a great operation, and there's a number of documents that show how they were able to ascertain that that meeting was taking place based on primarily mobile phone calls and texts that the cartel members apparently thought were were secret and and weren't. Um, one thing I should note: um, <laughs> the Hacked documents also show uh, some medical records with respect to the president uh, and particularly with respect to a cardiac condition that really hadn't been um, revealed in any detail before. So uh, even more kind of personal issues with uh, for uh, AMLO with respect to these documents. Um the documents that have been reviewed also show the military's own suspicions that current and former government officials, and this includes um, state ministers, state governors, um, and others, are linked to organized crime and to the cartels. And, and what is this? What does that mean? The practical effect of that is that the military ended up you know, creating files on and investigating current and former government officials, again, including governors, including sp- particularly uh, the government, uh, the governor of the state of Veracruz. Um, and it also makes it difficult for uh, there to be any kind of cooperative relationship between state governments and the national government, right? If if the military is suspicious of a particular state governor, he's going to believe that state officials are working with the uh, the cartels. The likelihood that they're going to involve people from that administration is small, and they're doing it. Let's let's put a good light on it. You know, they're saying, look, we don't want there to be any leaks, but we know there's also being leaks from the Mexican, you know, the military. Plus, you know, 
there there may well be people in that state government that are in a position to know. And the lack of cooperation has to have some effect, and not a positive effect, but has to have some effect on uh, on the ability to um, rapidly and prudently go after certain cartel elements. Okay. Um, Hack models also show that the defense ministry accused the current interior interior minister, uh, Adan Augusto Lopez, of giving top security positions to officials linked to organized crime um, when he served as the head of the, uh, or as governor of Tabasco. Uh, Sedena uh, also reported that the supplier of weapons and um, and other tactical equipment to cartels is an alleged member of the army, uh, whom the criminals refer to as Antigua, and who, based on the analysis of a telephone signal, is based in Campo Military Number One of Mexico City. So. Unknown. I mean, it, it, again, this is not one of those ones where you get a, a name and a face and a paper, but great deal of evidence, great deal of suggestion that a major supplier of weapons to the cartels is an active member of the military and is in a particular camp. And the documents also show an inability to determine who that is or might be, at least as of the date of the document releases. Um, there's evidence of cartel letters um, or cartel leaders asking this Antigua, you know, the the alleged member of the army for, amongst other things, 2,000 rounds of ammunition for AK-47 rifles, 5,000 for the R-15, and 50 magazines for each type of rifle. The uh, the reports also talk about a colonel who's become known as the new commander um, for whom the cartel acted as an escort. It doesn't say which cartel um, in this particular report. Um for about two weeks. Interestingly, the report described him as a man with a love of drinks and smoking and someone who is into everything, whatever that means. Now, here's something that I found interesting. If you want to talk specifically about the cartels, the documents indicate that at one time, the government decided they were going to focus most of their attention on one cartel group. And they really went after Los Zetas. The idea was initially that Los Zetas was more involved with uh, corporations. They had they were more impactful on business folks, less on kind of the common um, person, and that was then affecting uh, you know the interests of others in the government. So they really made a concerted effort to go after Los Zetas. What's really unclear, as best I can tell, though, is what effect that had. I mean, we know that the Zetas lost 
uh, a great deal of influence. We know that they became fractionalized. What I don't think the documents show, or at least I haven't seen, is any real causal connection. And, um, you know, as, as I love to say, as I just told a friend a few minutes ago, you know, correlation doesn't equal causation. So the degree to which they're involved is, is a little bit unknown. It also appears that following kind of the downfall of Los Zetas, the government turned its attention to the CJNG. And a couple things really, really stood out. Number one is they had some org charts that purported to show the various levels of command in uh, the CJNG, including regional um, heads. And it was very, very detailed. Had pictures of most of them and uh, makes you scratch your head and wonder a little bit about why there haven't been um, more efforts uh, to directly take on the CJNG than you know, a layperson would think the documents and the intelligence indicates would be possible. Also fascinating, um, they had some pictures of El Mencho that are um, that heretofore had not been seen by the public. Uh, he doesn't have his mustache. He's definitely thinner. And it goes along with reports that have been received um, of varying uh, of varying credibility, but reports that you know, his health continues to be a subject of concern, that he's continuing to have um, dialysis on a regular basis. Um, it's also said that uh, he is hiding out in the mountains between Jalisco and Colima. Uh, again, you know, his ability to stay under the radar and uh, things has been really incredible. The reports show that there have been a couple of times when they thought they were close to, to getting him and didn't. Uh, at least one of those apparently was because uh, he had notice of it. You know, the the quintessential raid that shows up and, you know, the, the coffee pot is hot, but everybody's gone. Um, but by and large, it also shows, I think, and a couple of the the summaries of, of this. And, and again, I'm, I'm relying primarily on journalistic summaries as opposed to the documents themselves. Excuse me, but they show um, an effort to gather a large amount of information about the CJNG, uh, the Sinaloa cartel as well in particular, but little in the way of a clear policy on how to deal with the cartels and little on a an aggressive strategy of how do we combat the cartels. Um, and that's led to some speculation of the relationship between the cartels and the military and a suggestion that, you know, almost a detente exists where it is better for both of them that they coexist and not engage in, in um, you know, a, a, 
a strenuous battle because that ends up being bad for both of, of them, both the military and uh, the cartels. The bottom line, as I said at the beginning, is the idea that the documents, you know, conclusively demonstrate this chummy relationship between the cartels and the the military isn't accurate because it the, the documents show a number of raids, a number of actions against the the cartels. But what it does show, I think, in fairness, is that there are elements of the military who are directly involved with the cartels and probably are supplying arms and intelligence to the cartels. And I think it shows a an interest in small raids, an interest in persistent raids, an interest in showing up at places, you know, for example, when there were the you know the riots in some of the border towns a month or two ago, having the National Guard show up and have a presence, that's one thing. But really going after the cartels and the internal structure of the cartels may be something that the government still isn't willing to do and hasn't done. Okay, I hope that was at least somewhat interesting and informative. Next week, we will go back and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of um, a couple of curious things with respect to the Camarena case that I want to raise and and discuss. Um, and then the week after that is going to be a special episode. Got some some interesting things to discuss with you. So that'll be. Uh, what's coming forward. Again, the newsletter goes out today. And uh, as I said in our last episode, check out the new website. Very, very, very happy about it. Love the documents. We're starting the effort to um, to add text, or how do I say this, to index and provide comments on the documents in the website so that they're easier to find and locate and things. But there is a huge collection of documents. And the, th- the reason that I did that, remember, is every single time I tell you, every time in my book, I say there's a DEA 6 that says, there's a DEA 6 that says. And, you know, one of the things, I- I'm going to go back to, to Hector Breas for a moment. At one point, we had a disagreement about who testified at what trial. And I was able to go back. I have the documents from the court reporter. Here's who testified. Here's who was on the witnesses lists. And here's who testified and the dates they testified on. That's invaluable, right? So, uh, you know, if there's ever questions, you can go to the website. You can look at the documents and you can know that we're giving you the truth. We're giving you the facts. You may reach a different conclusion, but we're not making stuff up. And I think that's why the website and the documents are so important. All right. Thanks for listening in. Again, next week, we'll go back more to the Camarena case. And until then, have a good week and stay safe and healthy.